said and proclaimed, we might, know, we might know your truth. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Our first reading today is from Psalm 49, verse 1 to 12, from the Common English Bible. Listen to the words. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With a harp, I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of their riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. So that we should live on forever and not decay. For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain, their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. It's a good chunk of scripture here, so buckle up. Jesus has a lot to say to us today. Someone from the crowd came to him saying, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out, guard yourselves against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things that you've prepared for yourself? This is the way that it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. There is more to life than food and more to the body than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? 
If you can't do such a small thing, why worry about the rest? Notice how the lilies grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed as one of these. If God dresses the grasses of the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, how much more will God do for you, you people of weak faith? Don't chase after what you'll eat and what you'll drink. Stop worrying. All the nations of the world long for these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire His kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make yourself wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes there. No moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord of abundance, you demand our life, entire and whole. Lead us out from prisons of greed to a place of riches, uncontained and always new. Through Jesus Christ, our common wealth. Amen. Our life isn't determined by our possessions, so says Jesus. Well, as one who grew up in the 1980s, you could have fooled me. Before I wanted to be a pastor, I remember telling my mom that I want to be a young corporate executive. Now, I didn't know what that meant, except that I would get to wear a sleek suit and work in a high-rise building and make lots of money. Now, where did the son of a pastor get such an idea? Alex P. Keaton, of course. (laughs) Michael J. Fox's character on Family Ties was my hero. This show was set in a city I'd never heard of called Columbus, Ohio. And Alex was the son of two now-grown hippies, and he did not share his parents' worldview. Above all else, Alex wanted to make money, and I wanted to be exactly like him. Funny, smart, good-looking, and rich. That was the ideal male of the 1980s. It wasn't about character. It wasn't about healthy relationships. It was about getting and staying rich. Well, today we hear a story of siblings and their inheritance Two themes that Luke returns to again and again in his gospel. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of Mary and Martha, siblings in a dispute. The week before that, we heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, which begins with someone asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inheritance, siblings, here we get them together in one place and not for the last time. There are few things that can be more damaging to our relationships with people than our relationship with money. How many families are torn apart by resentment over inheritance? 
And it's not just our biological families either. Our relationship to money can divide us from our relationships to people. I'm not sure if you're used to thinking of yourself as having a relationship to money, but you do have one. We all do. And left unchecked, our possessions do not remain possessions, but they possess us. And that's what Jesus is concerned about here, because Jesus wants us to be free. And so from the crowd, a man calls to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the estate with me. And Jesus responds, Man, who appointed me as judge? Don't you love it when Jesus gets kind of testy? A little cheeky? I love that Jesus. Remind us he really is human. Now you might hear his response, Who appointed me to be judge? And think, well, aren't you? Right? I mean... Our creeds say that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so why does Jesus just dismiss this man's request? Well, the Gospels make it clear that Jesus had an extraordinary ability to diagnose the human heart. There's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer that I've always loved called the Collect of Purity that says, Almighty God, to you all hearts are open All desires are known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. I think Jesus sees that this man's true desire is not for justice, it's for money. He's allowed his love for money to divide him from his deepest aspirations. See, in the end, I think that all of us actually want the same things. We want to be able to use our time and energy that we have to give a gift to this world, have that gift be acknowledged and appreciated. We want to love and to be loved. We want to have a roof over our head and food to eat. And we want a world that works for everyone. We don't want communities and nations to be torn apart by war and, and by poverty and by natural disaster. We want a planet that's, that's healthy, where people can flourish. These, these are our deepest, our best aspirations. But things get in the way of those deepest aspirations, things like our fear, our insecurity, and our greed. Those get in the way of our better selves. And so Jesus warns us, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. You see, Jesus knows that wealth isn't a neutral force in our life. I think that's what we normally think about money and wealth and possessions. These are neutral forces that we can either have a healthy or unhealthy relationship with. But Jesus knows that wealth is a little more powerful than that. I love the old translations that don't translate the word wealth, but they translate it mammon. Any of you remember that from the older translations? I love that word, mammon. Because mammon has a will of its own, and it wants to possess us. Mark Kinney said, Money is like an iron ring that we put through our nose. It is now leading us around wherever it wants. We just forget that we're the ones who designed it. How much of our lives are controlled by money? This fiction that we have invented, it has no inherent value other than what we collectively imagine that it has. 
And yet it influences almost everything that we do. Why would we let a fictional invention rule our lives and divide us from our deepest aspirations? So Jesus tells a parable to illustrate his point about mammon and its power. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what shall I do with my harvest? I know I'll tear down my smaller barns, build bigger ones, and then I can just eat and drink and be merry. This parable, it it appears simple, as though we can just kind of get it right off the bat, but the more you sit with it, the more it works on you. Notice that the man begins the parable rich. He already has more than enough. And then Jesus says, the land produces an excess of harvest. Okay, okay, well, who's responsible then for this harvest? Who can take credit for it? Is it the rich man or is it the land itself? And who do you think worked that land to bring in this harvest? Was it the rich man out in the fields? Was he the one bringing in the crops, sweating by the work of his brow? Or was it instead the poor workers that he hired and probably exploited. You see, with an excess of wealth that this man didn't need, much less work for, he has a conversation about what he should do with, it, with this unexpected blessing. And notice he doesn't, he doesn't talk to his family. He doesn't talk to his friends. He doesn't talk to Chuck, Charles Schwab. He just has a conversation with himself. And then he envisions a future with himself, alone with his money. Martin Luther describes sin as humanity being turned in, curved in on itself. That despite our best efforts to love and to serve other people, self-interest often gets the best of us. Well, this man is fully curved in on himself. While he may be materially wealthy, he is otherwise alone and empty. He is pitiable. And yet, and yet how many of us bought Mega Millions tickets this past week on the slim hope that maybe, just maybe, we could turn out like this guy? If you did, you're not the only one. I did too, and guess what? I didn't win. (laughs) Guessing you didn't either. But our values, right, they get all mixed up when it comes to money. In her incredible book, The Soul of Money, Lynn Twist says that scarcity is the great lie of our world. The lie of scarcity is that there is not enough, that more is better, and that this is just the way that it is. And this lie, it affects rich and poor alike. You can have more money than you know what to do with, or you can be barely making ends meet, and yet you can be equally bound by this fear. And make no mistake, fear is always at the heart of greed. Now, if it's true that there is not enough to go around and that more is better, then acquiring more and building bigger barns makes all the sense in the world. But what if it's not true? What if we've been sold a lie that is meant to keep us afraid, to keep us buying more and more things. 
And Jesus wants to set us free. And so he finishes the parable saying the man dies before he could build his bigger barns. And then more importantly, he points us to the sufficiency and the balance of the natural world. There, in the natural world, we can learn how to be free from the lie of scarcity. The ravens don't build bigger barns or a beach house, yet they seem to get along just fine, don't they? Consider the lilies, Jesus says. They don't work themselves to the bone, and yet they look more beautifully clothed than any of you here today, as nice as you all look. Because God knows what you need. And if we can trust that, we can live in the blessed assurance that there is enough. And so when is enough enough? That's a question we need to ask ourselves individually and corporately. When you're on your deathbed, what will you wish that you had more of? Wealth and possessions or healthy relationships? See, only one of these is worth living for. Over the course of my lifetime, we collectively have been consuming more and more, running faster and faster, building bigger and bigger barns, higher GDP and corporate profits than the world has ever seen before. Are we happier? Are we healthier? Are we living in a proper balance with the natural world? When is enough enough? It's not a question intended to shame. It's one that can set us free so that we can live from those deepest aspirations to love and to be loved, to live in a world where everyone has enough. Isn't that what we all really want? A man came to Jesus asking him to side with him against his brother so that he might have a share of the inheritance. And Jesus invites him to see that the only inheritance worth living for are the relationships we have to other people. That's what Jesus lived for. And that's what he died for. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. You are the treasure of Christ's heart. You are the inheritance that Jesus lived and died for, worth more than all the power and wealth of heaven itself. Your life isn't determined by your possessions, despite what I learned from Alex P. Keaton, despite what we learn from our consumer economy. Knowing that your life is determined by God's love for you, for all creation, allows you to live in assurance rather than fear, sufficiency rather than scarcity, balance instead of opulence. God will provide for your needs, which means that you are free to live with open hands instead of clenched fists. Rest in this good news that there is enough. Let's pray together. Holy God, the world pressures us to accumulate more and more abundance. If only we had more, we believe we would know success. 
We worry about the future. If only we had more, we could finally relax. Remind us once again that we are your children. You created us in your image and gifted us with community life. You've called us, you've claimed us as your own. You give our lives meaning and you instill us with value as your people. Remind us, Lord, of this good news. And so we pray for those who do not know the good news of their own value in your eyes. We pray for those who feel that they are running on a hamster wheel every day, trying to get ahead, making no progress. We pray for those who are trying to prove themselves and constantly feel as though they are falling short. We pray for all who are burdened by a false sense of independence, unable, unwilling to ask for help or to admit frailty. And we pray for all who have been victimized by greed and by selfishness. For all these, your people, we ask for the power of your good news to bring new life. Lord, you have knit us together into community. And in Christ, we are renewed. And the divisions among us are overcome. Teach us the joy of interdependence. Grant us generosity to share our resources with one another. Open us to receive the wisdom and gifts of our siblings in Christ. Clothe us with new life and enable us to live faithfully in this time, in this place. We pray this morning for all those who are in need, for those devastated by floods in Kentucky, those who've lost homes and loved ones. God, have mercy on those in need and teach us again to live in a healthy balance with nature that these events not be normalized. And we pray for the people of Ukraine that though we have moved on with our lives, they continue to struggle for freedom. And we pray for all of those people in our lives who need your healing presence, your loving assurance, your reassurance that there is enough, that they are enough. Lord, hear our prayers and respond with your grace. And now we join our voices to pray as Christ taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.